We're going to study something, and when you got dressed this morning and came to church, you said, wow, I wonder what Pastor Mike's going to share about contend for the faith. There's boxing gloves. Well, I'm going to teach you how to fight today. Little boxing, little martial arts, things like that. I was a yellow belt in Taekwondo. Big deal. My son's a black belt, so he can take me. But anyhow, no, we're not going to learn that kind of fighting. But we are going to learn about how to contend for our faith. So there's a little book, 25 verses, 163 words. No, yeah, 163 words in the Bible called Jude. I don't remember the last time I heard a message from Jude. So it's between 3 John and Revelation. So turn there with your, in your Bibles to Jude, little book of Jude, 613 words. I, I messed up on that. So we're going to learn about Jude here, what Jude has for us today in this 2020 that we're living in. First, let me give you the background of the book, okay, of Jude just to get you familiar. Jude was the brother of James and half-brother of Jesus. Along with his brothers, Jude did not believe in the ministry of Jesus until after his resurrection, which is interesting. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Jude is the 24th longest New Testament book and 63rd longest biblical book with one chapter, 25 verses, and 613 words. If you get bored, don't count them today. Trust me, my source said there's 613. There are quotations or allusions from eight Old Testament books in Jude. And it's interesting because he talks about counterfeit Christians, counterfeit teachers, false teachers, false Christians. We're going to look into that. And counterfeiting, when I started looking at that, I I remembered the Secret Service. And, you know, I thought the Secret Service was to protect the president and other political figures. But that's not their main reason of their job. They're really under the Treasury Department, and they are called to find counterfeiters of the American dollar, American, you know, currency. And how they do that is they study the real thing instead of the fake ones. You know, I know bank and stores, they have a little thing they can mark to show a counterfeit, but they study the real thing. So I want to test your knowledge this morning and see if you could work for the Secret Service. I'm going to show you a $100 bill, and you tell me if it's real or fake. Here it is. Real or fake? (laughs) Well, obviously, it's fake. It's Pastor Jason with an old man's app. It kind of aged him there. But next one's going to be harder, okay? Is this one real or fake? Now, there's somebody just said it's real. You know who that is, you know, Pastor Frank. Counterfeiting. These are not real, of course. I didn't deface money. I put that on top of it. But Jude, thinking of real or fake, Jude knew the real thing. He was the real thing. He could spot a spiritual counterfeit in the church 50 pews away. He was that good. He is telling us here in the book of Jude how to spot uh, counterfeit Christians, apostates who may look like the Christian on the outside, but are definitely not Christian on the inside. Paul said they profess but don't possess, is how he put it. So we're going to look at that. R.C. Sproul wrote this, We must not assume that because someone is a theological scholar that he is a Christian. We may not assume that because someone is an ordained minister, he is necessarily a Christian. Sadly, there are many people who enter the ministry for the wrong reasons. Some make theological skepticism a profession. They are those who are motivated to study Christian theology out of a burning desire to disprove, neutralize, or change Christianity. Natural man has enough enmity toward God to make a lifelong crusade against him. There is an enemy within the church. Now, I could ask almost everyone here this morning if you knew 
who the enemy is. And I'm sure you would say, yes, I know who that is, but I'll help you. Satan. He is the enemy. He is the enemy of the church and believers. And Satan is, is not just fighting churches today. He is joining churches, unfortunately, joining them. He has placed within churches and colleges and universities spiritual counterfeits. But every counterfeit has marks with distinguish it from the real thing. Now, when I went to New York a long time ago with my wife and, and, and daughters, they all wanted purses. Well, if you've ever gone to New York and Chinatown, you know what that means. You're going along, and they say, purses, 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 purses. And, of course, my daughter's eyes lit up. So we went in to this little store, and we're walking in there, and then we keep walking. I'm going, there's plenty of purses here. And, oh, no, no, purses, purses. They open a fake door wall, and here's all these purses back here, these famous, I don't know, Gucci, whatever they're called, that girls want. And they're, they're counterfeits, deception. You can buy a, a Rolex watch for $25. You know, it really is something. You know, we go to the Philippines. There, we go to the Pearl Market. You can buy sneakers that are hundreds of dollars here for $15, $20. Counterfeits, deception. But guess what? The ultimate source of deception is, is who? Satan. Satan. Counterfeiting is one of his deadliest skills, and it comes naturally to those who don't follow Christ. Satan is a deceiver and a liar from the beginning, and the father of forgery, the father of lies is what scripture says. He inspires deception like pollen inspires allergies. And in 2 John 1, 7, you'll see it on the screen. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. This is written way a long time ago. Who do not acknowledge Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is the deceiver and the antichrist. Think about today how much worse that is. Do you know in the Philippines, I shared this before, the Messiah is over in the Philippines. He claims he is. Jonel, we talked when Jonel was here recently, we talked again. I said, Jonel, is the Messiah still in the Philippines functioning? He says, Oh yeah, he's over there, and people are following him and, and supporting him, giving money. Antichrist, false, false, false people. In his book, The Strategy of Satan by Warren Wiersbe, and I love his books, he describes areas in which the genuine realities of God that are relevant for today's Christian. The deceiver tries to do this, and here's one of them. He seeks to create counterfeit Christians. He is doing that all over. He seeks to create a counterfeit gospel. There's more than one way. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but by me, but there's more than one way. It's not just Jesus. Come on. He has counterfeit preachers. Don't even go there. Counterfeit righteousness. Oh, you just be a good person. You know, that's what's all you need to be. Counterfeit doctrines. Counterfeit church. And someday, a counterfeit, he's going to create a counterfeit Christ during the tribulation, the Antichrist, a counterfeit Christ. And he's going to come, and he's going to woo people, and then he's going to sit in the middle say, I am God, worship me. Now, as you look at the book of Jude, we'll get in there in a minute, but all through the Jude, it, it gives descriptions of false teachers and false people. So I, I didn't have time to go through every point with this, but I'm going to read Everything that's in there, if you want a copy of it, let the office know. We'll get you a copy. So here we go. Hold on to your seat. Ready? 
False teachers are opposed by believers, verse 3. They creep into the church secretly, verse 4. They are ordained to judgment, verse 4. They are ungodly, verse 4. They are immoral, verse 4. They are sure to be judged, verses 5 through 7. They are filthy dreamers, verse 8. They reject authority, verse 8. They scoff at spiritual beings, verse 8 through 10. They go after the way of Cain of unbelief, verse 11. They go after the way of Balaam of going astray, verse 11. They go after the way of Korah of rebellion, verse 11. They are spots and blemishes upon the fellowship of the church, verse 12. They are filled with emptiness and stability, verse 12. They teach things that are shameful, verse 13. They wander after about as a falling star that quickly passes into eternal darkness, verse 13. They are doomed to be judged by the Lord Jesus Christ himself, verses 14 and 15. There are murmurs and complainers, verse 16. They walk after their own lusts, verse 16. They use showy words that are empty, verse 16. They flatter people for personal gain, verse 16. <sighs> I know I went fast. You want a copy, let me know, all right? But that just gives you some descriptions out of just the book of Jude of false teachers and those that are not true Christians. Isn't that amazing? When I read through that, I know I went fast. My wife said, man, you read that fast. I said, that one I was allowed to. But anyhow, you think about that. Now, let's get into Jude and how to contend for the faith. So, let's read the first four verses. The first point is contend for the faith. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now, let me just stop there and make a comment. The bondservant. Remember I said in Matthew 13, 55, Mark 6, 3, talks about Jesus' half-sisters and half-brothers. And it said that he did not accept Christ till after the resurrection. During Christ's walk on this earth, he didn't believe his half-brother was Christ. But he did after the resurrection. And look what he says. To get kind of, uh, you know, if, if I was Jude, I'd say, hey, I'm the half-brother of Jesus. No, what did he say? I'm a bondservant of Jesus Christ. What does that mean? It means whatever Jesus wants me to do, I'll do. Whatever he wants me to say, I'll say. Wherever he wants me to go, I'll go. I'm his servant. He's my master. Whatever he wants, I'm a bond servant. I'm his slave. All of us should be saying that. And here Jude is saying that about Jesus Christ. He recognized he's the son of God. He became a new creature in Christ. Those old things passed away and then became new in his life. He is a bond servant of Jesus Christ. But then he wanted to have a little bit of pull with the reader, so he said, and brother of James. Now, James was the same thing, except to Christ. James became the first pastor of the first church in Jerusalem. And, and James is the brother, so he says, hey, readers, I, I am the brother of James. So that will help you know I know what I'm talking about. I got a little bit of, you know, credentials here. Then he says, to those who are the called. I love that, because we are of the called. You know, it's amazing about the gospel. Jesus Christ calls us. The Holy Spirit woos us. But there's a human responsibility that we have to accept. It's the gift of God. We know that, but we have to accept that into salvation. And he woos, he woos. He said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. And then hear my voice. I opens the door. I will come and sup with him here with me. He's knocking. He's knocking. But he doesn't force the door open. He doesn't twist your arm. But he's knocking. Sometimes he stops knocking. He's not leaving you. He's still there. So if you still want to accept Christ, you always can to your last breath. But he's wooing us. We are of the called. And look at the beloved in God the Father. Oh, folks, we are loved by God the Father, the creator of the universe. If you're here this morning and you don't feel loved, you are. No matter where you're at spiritually, no matter where you're at, even if you're not a born-again Christian, you're loved by God the Father. So loved, weren't you? that he gave his only begotten son. We're so loved by God the Father. And then kept for Jesus Christ. Then he says, may mercy and peace and love be multiplied to you. 
What a great thing to say to somebody. You're writing a letter. Wouldn't you love to get a letter and somebody says, hey, I'm just going to ask that you have mercy and peace and love multiplied to you. Isn't that what the world's searching for? Mercy, peace, and love. They're looking in the wrong place, but that's what they're looking for, that mercy, peace, and love. Here we have it because of our relationship with Jesus Christ. But Jude said, hey, I want you to have it more. Beloved, while I was making every effort to write you about our common salvation. Isn't it interesting? He wanted to write about salvation. I would rather preach about salvation. I'd rather preach about something that you leave here and say, wasn't that sweet? Wasn't that nice? That was a wonderful message. Instead of talking about how you have to contend for the faith, you're going to be mocked, you have to win the day, and points will make sense to you when we go through those points. But here he said the same thing under inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He said, I was going to write about salvation, but I felt the necessity to write to you appealing that you, here it is, contend for the faith. Fight the good fight, as Paul said, which was once and for all handed down to the saints calling the readers the saints. You're a saint. Now, don't ask your wife to call you a saint, you know, Saint Michael or Saint John or Saint Abe, something like that, or the wife, Saint, you know, Dana, something like that. But we are saints spiritually because we're trichotomy people, body, soul, spirit. The spirit has to be born again. That's what he was telling Nicodemus. That spirit has to be born again. How's it born again? Trusting in Christ as your savior. He says, for certain persons have crept in unnoticed. Back here in this day when he wrote that, they crept in. Think about today. Those who were long beforehand marked out for this condemnation, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and decent behavior and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. Master. Again, Jude saying, he's my master. He's our master. He's our Lord Jesus Christ. Jude is an interesting person because if you look in Matthew and Mark where he mentioned, it's Judas. Well, it can be Jude too. And guess what he chose? Jude. Who wants to? I wouldn't name my dog Judas, you know? Here, here Judas. No, nah, you know, you don't see the top list of boys' names Judas because we know he was the betrayer. So here Jude is saying, I, he's my master and Lord Jesus Christ. So what is he saying? Contend for the faith. Contend for the faith, what? Both in your heart and in your actions. That's what he's saying here. You know, our faith is more than mere intellectual assent. There's a grave danger, folks, in, in defining faith as an intellectual pursuit. James, you'll see it on there, faith without works is dead. James is saying, you're not saved by your works, but faith without works is dead. We've got to cling to the true gospel. We are saved by grace through faith than Jesus Christ. We are not saved by our own merits or good works. For by grace you are saved through faith. It is gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Paul says that in Ephesians 2, 8, 9. He also says in Romans 10, you'll see it on the screen, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord, here's that, using confessing, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart, the heart, a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. But when we become a new creature in Christ, and we do that, however, a transformed heart is demonstrated by a transformed life is it not? Now, I'm not saying perfect. Believe me, I am not perfect. No one is perfect except Jesus Christ. But humbled, surrendered, and growing toward the image of Christ. There's a verse that I've been used many times here, but it bears repeating. Therefore, I urge you, Romans 12, 1 and 2, brethren, by the mercies of God, 
to present your bodies. That's your responsibility. That's your human responsibility. You have to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world. That's your responsibility to not be conformed to this world. But how? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind is where we go with this, so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You renew your mind through the word of God. Another way our faith is authenticated when we desire to live to obedience to Christ and commands is it's even in the area of sexual immorality. Peter writes in 1 Peter 1, 14 through 16, as obedient children do not be conformed to the former lusts which were yours in your ignorance, that's unbelievers, they were ignorant, but like the Holy One who called you, behold yourselves also in all your behavior, because it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. Now, I'm not going to name call things like that. For instance, okay, pickleball is not holy. Now, we play pickleball, okay? A lot of us play pickleball. It's not a holy sport, but how you play it can be holy. If, 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 if Donna's playing pickleball and she is beating me and I purposely hit her in the head with the pickleball ball or something like that on purpose and try to hurt you so I win, that's not very holy, is it? No, very holy. The only sports that's holy is golf because you put the whole, well, none. But you got to play that holy too, okay? Right, Donna? Break the thing, throw the clubs, you know, all that stuff. But it's how you play. Now, I know that sounds silly, but it's true. Got to be holy in all your behavior. And, and you're the judge of that. You have to decide that. Whatever you do, you say, is this holy? Is this bringing glory to God? And that's your decision and your responsibility to decipher that through the word of God. So, Pastor Frank shared something, Pastor Jason has shared it, I'm going to share it again, and, and we may need to put it up on the wall, but here it is. What you believe is seen in what you do, and what you do proves what you believe. Exactly what Jude is saying here. What you believe is seen in what you do, and what you do proves what you believe. Do you really believe the Word of God is true? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe what you believe is true? Do you know you have the power over what you believe, but what you believe has power over you? So, as you look at this, what you do proves, you know, you've got to understand this is what he's saying. Because the bloody grace of Christ, which covers my sin and yours, is not a license to sin more. Some people say that, and it's not. If that is our mindset, only one can wonder, have we really met Jesus? Have we really met Jesus? Folks, how we live matters. It matters. John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's that simple. That's it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, I got to admit, following after Jesus is not a cakewalk. It's difficult. It's hard. Because you know what? The old saying, I said this before, forgive me. I'm not 70, but I'm still getting close. But, you know, because you start repeating yourself when you're 70, right, Terry? But, you know, you've never been skinned until you've been skinned by a Christian. That was given to me by a fellow pastor way back. You've never been skinned until you've been skinned by a Christian. For some reason... As believers, we sin. We know we are. We don't want to, but we sin. We repent. We ask God to forgive us. We make it right. And then we start growing and maturing in Christ again and moving towards that. God forgives us through Jesus. He doesn't remember. But guess what? A Christian that's not walking with God, they'll say, oh, but look what so-and-so did. And they'll bring that up. And they'll, and, and they'll yeah, I remember it not realizing that's gone, forgotten, repented, move on, forgiven. And we skin each other. We hold each other back in that way. 
let alone unsaved people. They do it because they, you know, they call us haters and all that stuff. But following after Jesus is not a cakewalk, and the Jews are going to say, you're going to be mocked, scoffed at. So let's look at the scripture verse, what Jesus says. This is the hard part. In Matthew 16, 20 through, 24 through 25, then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. A parnalme, that means that deny, that red means to, to forget oneself, lose sight of oneself and own interests. That is not normal for us on planet Earth here. It's all about me, myself, and I. It's hard to deny self, is it not? To deny yourself and to have interest in only what the master wants you to do, what he wants you to say, how, where he wants you to go. It's hard to love your enemies. It's hard to those that, that, that mock, those that, that hurt you, offend you. It's hard to love them, but that's what Jesus is saying. Deny yourself and do that and follow him. We must count the cost, folks. You've got to count the cost. But you know what? You can be sure Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. Max, is Jesus worth it? Diane, is Jesus worth it? Yeah. Pastor Frank, is Jesus worth it? Amen. I could keep on. Jesus is worth it. Following him, denying yourself, Jesus is worth it. Believe me, there's nothing out there. It's all Jesus. Now, the second part is verses 5 through 7. Remain faithful to Christ day by day. Look at 5 through 7. Now, I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, here's he's given an example, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. And angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them, since they, in the same way as these, indulged in gross immorality and went after strange flesh, are exhibited as an example in undergoing the punishment of eternal fire. Here he's saying, remain faithful to Christ day by day. Desire to remind you, all things that you remain faithful. Don't do what some of these people did and fall away from Jesus Christ. Because past beliefs, past positions, past protections to God cannot cannot be assumed if you oppose him in the present. Furthermore, the lesson here in this text is that unbelief in God is made evident by actions. I'm reading a new book called Win the Day, and my son had shared this with me that somebody shared it with him, and I've been sharing it with other men that I've been talking to. But Win the Day, we learn from the past. We don't live in it, but we learn from it. We don't worry about tomorrow. We plan, but we don't worry about tomorrow, the what is or tomorrow. They may never come. So you go in the present, you win the day. Win the day for Christ. It's exactly what I tell people that have addictions. Win the day. Win this day. Then you win the next day. Then you win the next day. As I worked with a man that had an addiction, I got him a watch that beeped every hour. I told him, win the hour. I broke it even smaller. Win the hour. Ask the Holy Spirit to help you. Thank him for helping you. Ask him to help you again. Seven weekdays later, he came back. His addiction was not there because he was focused and winning the day for Jesus Christ. That's what Jude is saying here. Remain faithful to Christ day by day. If we reject Jesus in our hearts, demonstrated by our rebellious choices, folks, how can he welcome us into heaven and eventually kingdom? Now, that's unbelievers, not believers. I'll get to you in a minute. That's unbelievers, those that have never trusted Christ, those that are still on the broad road of hell and destruction, that haven't got off in the narrow road of life eternal, only through Jesus Christ. That's how you get off the broad road. Everybody's going to live forever, you know. It's just, you're, where are you going to live? You've got to decide, and that's your choice. 
God's not a bad man. He has made the way to get off of that, but it's your responsibility to do that. But people say, no, nah, and you listen to that voice of the enemy, and, and that's bad. Now, we, can, we cannot be with Christ if we refuse him. Jesus will not force anyone on himself. But for us believers, if you have fallen away, just repent. I know. I know about repentance. You repent, and then you move forward again and mature in Christ and continue that road. There is always forgiveness for those that have fallen. Always. If you're listening today, if you're fallen away like the product sign, there's always forgiveness who then repent and return to Christ. Jesus is always waiting with open arms. Jesus is always calling us to come back home. However, we must be willing to reach out. We've got to reach for him and receive the forgiveness of Christ. May we cling to Christ and finish strong. Now, verses 17 through 18. I'm not going to read 8 through 16. I'll, I'll read it 16 just to give us what that meant, but it's the descriptions and denunciation of that. But these are grumblers finding fault, following after their own lust. They speak arrogantly, flattering people for the sake of gaining advantage. That's what I read about all the description of the false teachers and, and Christians. But let's get into now. Be ready for scoffers, because if you're going to live for Christ, really live for Christ, here's where it gets difficult. But you, beloved ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, that they were saying, way back to you, and the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lust. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. That's a capital S if you look in your scriptures. That's the Holy Spirit. It means they're not saved, born again, never trusted in Christ alone for eternal life. These are the ones Jesus are warning us about. Jude's warning us here. Back then, can you imagine how much worse it is now? Timothy said, in the last days, perilous times will come. Isn't it funny that good is evil and evil is good right now in our world, especially in the United States? There's churches in Canada that are being shut down and pastors being arrested because they're calling out sin. And it's coming to the United States, believe me. When we stand here and we start naming sin and calling out sin, according to the Word of God, there's going to be pressure if you start doing that, living for Christ and saying, no, sin is sin. Sin is sin. There's no 1 through 25. Sin is sin. The consequences of sin is this, but you can be free from that through Christ. You start doing that, you're going to be mocked and scoffed. Jesus warned us repeatedly in the last days there will be those who mock Christians, and it's happening. False teachers who twist this word, God's word, will be rampant, and are they not? The tactic Satan used in the garden. Did God really say dot, 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 question mark? is still alive today. And that's what's happening. People are doing this. God's word, folks, God's word will stand forever, long after fleeting opinion of mankind has fallen. This is what we got to anchor ourselves on, to Christ and his word, the Bible. Satan's going to come and say, ah, you really don't need to study this. You don't need to read this. You don't need to apply this to your life. You can be a hearer, not a doer of the word. This is what we've got. This is it. It's precious. You've got to study it, read it, live it, because people are dying and going to hell. That's what we've got to do. There are many asking God to bow his knee to human opinions. It's obvious they're doing that. Instead of us bowing the knee to God's eternal truth, may we hunger May we hunger and thirst for this, the Word of God, God's Word, the Bible. His Word nourishes and feeds our soul with God's unchanging truth. This is unchanging truth. The world system run by Satan is not the truth. 
He tries to make it the truth. He disguises deceptions. It's a knockoff. God spoke this whole universe and our very frames into existence. Is it any wonder we need this precious book to survive? We need it. Fourthly, look at verses 20 and 21. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. Paul talks about that in Ephesians 6, 18. Keep yourselves in the love of God. That's that agape, unconditional love. It's a wonderful love. Waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. Build yourselves up in faith and live in Christ. That's what he's saying there. Sherry and I were coming back from, from the beach the other day, and we're driving, and I said, wouldn't it be wonderful if we were raptured right now? And I thought, wow, the car would crash and maybe kill somebody, but you know what? I want to get out of here. This world is a mess. You look at what's happening, all the murders and shootings and everything like that. What do you expect? You take the Bible out, you take God out of, of everything. You take Jesus Christ out of everything. You say, that's not the way to find peace, love, and joy. That's not the way to find eternal life. And you remove God, what, what are you going to have? You're going to have chaos. That's what you're going to have. And we're in it, living in it. And it's our job to build ourselves up in faith and live for Christ. As Satan stirs up more division, animosity, and hatred between people, may we return to Christ again and again prayerfully as saying in the Holy Spirit, looking at our Savior on the cross, as we pray in the Holy Spirit, may our hearts be melted at the mercy and love poured out for us through His blood, that we, we may be loving and merciful to those we meet. And that gives me a segue into my fifth, fifth and last point. Snatch others from the fire. Look at verse 22 and 23. And have mercy on some who are doubting, Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even a garment polluted by the flesh. Oh, that, that lake of fire that was not designed for humans. It was designed and created for Satan and the demons, but because of humans not choosing the way of salvation and staying on the broad road, you will be in that lake of fire. Many will stand before God on that great white throne judgment and say, I went to church. I knelt at church on prayer. I gave. I, I treated people fairly. I was a man of honesty, and I helped the poor and the needy. And yet you never trusted Christ as your Savior. He'll say, I never knew you. I'm sorry. You have to depart. And you go into that lake of fire saying, why didn't I make that decision? And we have to snatch others from that. Whenever possible, speak the truth in love to tell all who are willing to hear and turn to Christ. Pray for them and never, never, never stop praying. Don't ever stop praying for your family members. I have family members that aren't saved. I have a family member that's walked, in, walked away from the Lord. I'm never going to stop praying for them. Never, never, never stop praying. May we remember above all, folks, that earthly blessings here are temporal. No one takes anything with them. No one. All the material things here. Invest in the bank up in the sky, not here. Eternal blessings are forever, ever. May we keep that eternal mindset, as Jude says here, in these days we have left. Then he comes to this wonderful benediction, the closing part in verses 24 through 25. He says, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Isn't that a great thing? Jesus is able to keep you from stumbling. We're going to stumble, but he's going to help you get back up on your feet 
and as if there's true repentance and move on. To make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy. Oh, as Satan comes and he says, oh, look at Mike Keaton. He sinned. Jesus said, oh, he repented of that, God. I paid for that sin. The penalty's taken care of. You see him through me, righteous. Praise God for that. Blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Father, I pray this morning that these five little lessons that we look from the book of Jude, 613 words, 25 verses, Lord, that will help us to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. He's the one who saved us. He's the one who will keep us. And it will present us to you, Father, in heaven. Oh, Father, I pray if there's one here that does not know Jesus Christ as their Savior, if they truly are not a new creation in Christ, if they have not gotten off the broad road to hell and destruction to the narrow to life eternal, that they would do that today. Now is the day. Today is the day. Now is the time for them to get saved. Lord, why put it off? Lord, Satan's going to whisper in their ear, you don't need, did God really say that? God just wants to make your life miserable. He just wants you to have to give up all the, no, we gain so much through salvation. It is worth it. I pray, Father, that if there's one here, they would talk to Pastor Frank or I, that we could tell them they can, they can confess, they can admit they're a sinner, confess and believe in Jesus Christ, and they shall be saved. Before they walk out today, Lord, in our today's world, I wouldn't want to take that chance because of how crazy it is, because there's no second chance. Father, then help us, those that are believers, to walk with you now and forever. If there's one here this morning that is not walking with you, help them just to repent, Lord. Father, help them not to put it off. Just repent and get up and follow the Master. Follow Jesus Christ, our Lord, the Savior of the world. And then, Father, may we finish well, that we can hear you say, well done, thy great and faithful servant. Oh, Jesus, help us now as we depart after singing a song to you and for you. And give us what we're in need of and help us to now be not only hearers but doers of the word. In Jesus' name, amen. So stand up, let's sing the chorus. Hallelujah for the cross.
find the bridge for tonight.